0: What do men want? A simple enough question, but given the context, shall we not ask, what do women want? How do men want things? What is this collective situation of hostility between the genders, of indifference even, that we find ourselves in? What characterizes it? How have we found ourselves in a situation in which the relations between each other are more frailed, and fragile, and imploded more than ever before. Nina Power in her new book, What Men Want, dares to explore these questions and more. Together we talk about the character of modern relationships between men and women, the incel and femcel questions, what characterizes the profound loss and ennui and purposelessness of our modern age. And how can we come to an agreement between the sexes when it comes to addressing these deeper issues? Join us on what is, to me, one of the best podcasts on content-minded thus far. Nina Power is a tour de force of intellect, of wisdom, and insight. all right so this is exciting for me because i've wanted to do this for a long time with you um so the lovely amazing intelligent nina power um <laughs> has humbly graced the absolute dregs of uh far right uh <laughs> no 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 i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> oh man oh boy um no but this is great um, yeah so <laughs> the don't don't worry about like like I, I'll do like an intro beforehand because I usually don't like you know, pretending there's an audience is kind of stupid, but like um <laughs> it's but funny. Yeah, yeah um, so I have been um fastidiously reading your work for a long time, and I uh recently gunned through what men what do men want? And as a man, I don't even know what I want myself, but (laughs) (laughs) nobody does, nobody does. But, um, so just to, so I, well, you don't really don't need an introduction, but I guess a good question to start off with would be, um, what motivated you to write? Well, I want to get into more theory, cell stuff, like a lot of ideas I have, but what motivated you to write? what do men want and how is it different from your previous work? I mean, in some ways your previous work, one dimensional woman, it's great. Um, but it is kind of like a time capsule of the two thousands, but what would be like the, like the qualitative difference between what you were doing in one dimensional woman? Cause I do notice a lot of similar themes between that and what do men want? Like in terms Mm -hmm. of the commodification of all life and the sort of, this sort of our own unique let's say species being being subject to this pervasive form like pervasive and predatory forms of like commodification but i would also say like mutual panopticism in a lot of different ways like for example pornography is like a strong theme theme in like both of them but how are they different though like how is it How is the woman question different than the man
1: question? (laughs) Well, Gio, (laughs) let me tell you, (laughs) you may have noticed that uh, in the intervening period between 2009 and 2022 or whatever goddamn year of empire we are currently in, um, the the vast vast portions of the so-called left decided to go completely batshit crazy. um, (laughs) And... uh, Whatever value there is in some of the anti-capitalist critique, which I still um, maintain, or, you know, some of the 60s and 70s work, particularly around consumerism, and I'm a big fan of Ivan Illich and, oh, yes. uh, oh, yeah. you know, various thinkers who aren't, or, or D. Lang, who are not kind of easily uh, placeable, or, or Lash would be a more obvious, yes, yes. you know, character, but, but, in a sense, that these people are sort of genuinely thinking about these problems uh, as problems for humanity on mass, rather than as partisan positions of left or right. And obviously, there's a right-wing anti-capitalism as well. Um, That's you know, a scary which,
0: kind. <laughs> no, but you
1: know, I mean, I, which is also worth thinking about when we're talking about nature and the environment and order, right. and, you know. And and so, I mean, I, I, at this point, I don't, you know. It doesn't matter to me, uh, particularly where I get my inspiration in the sense that I think one of the main problems is this part of partisan politics that has that just sort of like d- eroded people's brains. You know, the idea that we can't take interesting ideas from people that we might otherwise right. disagree with. I mean, it's like, you know, there's resources in Nietzsche, there's resources in Spengler, there's, re- you yeah, know, yeah. like whoever. I mean, just as there are resources in Marcuse or whatever. So... Yeah, I think I think I, I I I was kind of motivated to try to respond in a in a calm and reasonable way, <laughs> <laughs> insofar as that's possible to some of the the madness. Just because, I mean, because it just isn't true fundamentally. Right, like, this right. is not you know, this is not how men and women relate, and this is not how men are. And you know, this kind of deranged, divisive. Um, you know, as you say, the level of species being this, you know, this culture which seems to, you know, get off on on creating these kind of false divisions, you know, which are very handy if you're trying to uh, stop people looking at what's really going on, whether it's uh, economically, politically, geopolitically, who actually has the power, who are the elites and so on. I mean, right, it, right. you don't have to be a, a grade A weapons or whatever weapons, great conspiracy theorist <laughs> to think that there's like some problem with <laughs> identity politics or whatever you want to call it so right, right. yeah I, I wanted to maintain some ground which is to do with like the reality of the existence of men and women and whether we think of that as a biological fact or a religious fact or a social fact or whatever you know that the the important thing is is maintaining this question of difference I think you know the recognition
0: Right. right, right
1: you know, and and difference is what is being chewed up by this kind of grotesque machine, you know, whether it's bureaucracy, whether it's institutions, um, you know, and and actually, paradoxically, um, I think the elimination of difference is actually what fascism is. (laughs) Like, if you want a Mm. definition of fascism in the kind of, as a totalitarian principle, it's, it's homogeneity, you know, it's the absolute elimination of difference, whether that's Right, right, or otherwise right. it's not the acceptance um and you know and and then we have the kind of forced teaming being ideologically you know at a gunpoint you know diversity is our strength which isn't about difference
0: yeah well it's I come fact- from the country where that's the state ideology so right
1: I mean yeah. it's no but it's kind of everywhere in the west I mean I know Canada is particularly bad but um yeah I mean it's kind of it's insane. Like I turned on the radio yesterday, and I felt like I was in like dystopian <laughs> nightmare because everything is yeah. like you no, know, and it and it doesn't it doesn't help people who are gay. It doesn't help people who are like I don't know whatever different in some way. It it just kind of in fact um, appals people <laughs> increasingly because they have to go yeah. to work recite this religious mantra.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that. I mean, it seems that there is like the critique of that is becoming pervasive. I mean, yeah. Well, when it comes to fascism, though, I mean, I know a lot of my listeners would start screaming at that definition of fascism, but that's that's another point. Like, I, I think that what we're seeing now is clearly um, I know in interviews you alluded to it where we're seeing a sort of um, weird form of like liberal totalitarianism that is unique in that it is still a form of millenarian thinking but the mechanisms by which it enforces doctrine is quite different than say explicit fascism or explicit communism there seems to be um and i think you know heidegger had a great point in that like what did he say like his most controversial thing was either you know the same thing that produced well for youtube purposes that one event in the 20th century in world war ii is the same thing that produces the wheat thresher, but also, you know, what does he say in Der Spiegel? You know, only a God can save us. Now, in other words, the framing of the human subject within very particular ideological confines, it, in in the human as a resource, and I mean, you've alluded to this a lot in your work, is that we think of like, you know, standing reserve and in framing as the human as the resource and the human as an ideological um, input-output mechanism, right? A particular abstract machine, but what's fascinating about your book is that when it comes to men in particular, it's almost like that standing reserve is being withered purposefully, which is like, you'd figure would defy the logic of like, whatever you want to call it, capitalist realism. But it seems that like, it's almost as if the, the following of particular human stock, I know as terrible as that language is as a man, especially, but it seems like that is a huge part of this, current regime that we're seeing for a variety of reasons. So maybe like you could get into that a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, maybe we can come back to this question that the definition of fascism as well, right, I mean, right, it's right, Like, right. you know, I it's, yeah, I mean, me, I'm, I'm, I'm in a sense being glib because of this kind of ironic reversal where it's like anyone who disagrees with the current regime is, you know, designated a fascist. Right. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously we're well aware of this now as a tactic. Um, you know, and it has nothing to do with historical fascism, either in theory or in practice. Right, right. Um, I suppose, you know, I'm working to my, <laughs> my own set of definitions to some degree in terms of, you know, this this question of homogeneity and institutionalization, and, right, you know, they are right. they're, they're different ways of saying the same thing, and you, you're referring to the kind of, like, the chewing up of human material or the kind of standing reserve um, idea. And, I, yeah, I agree. I think I think there's a a real sense in which the the current regime you know, doesn't need men <laughs> uh, and is kind of in a sense content to let them, you know, uh, rot, frankly, in many, yeah. uh, particularly men of a lower economic state background. And, and, you know, we see this with the deaths of despair and the opioid crises and this kind of destruction of social roles, which also happened in Britain in the 1980s with the closure of industry and, you know, just this kind of, you know, systematic uh switch from a kind of masculinized to a feminized workplace you know right right uh, and the celebration of a certain kind of feminine energy even like you know all of these institutions like hr and everything have become like Or oh, the internet they're extremely feminized in terms of how they operate the level of you <laughs> know backstabbing you know like these kind of very negative uh aspects of um a feminine behavior if you like in group out group cleakiness. um you know and so in a way like men have become feminine in a bad sense as well and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and that, like this is this is kind of um a tragedy for everyone so you get all these like women who've been encouraged to think that like oh being a high status woman is like getting a good job you know getting a degree and living in a city and you know making money at some kind of media job or some yeah. you know yeah. and then goes on apps and is like disappointed by everything and you you know you end up in this kind of very Eroded, eroded like I don't know culture in which there's sort of nihilism like just pouring out of everyone and exactly, you know. yeah,
0: it, it really <laughs> so, is like a like in terms of like the it really is like an ideological bomb that has been because like I get in your works there's a huge sense of like we are among the ruins um but well sorry I, I cut you off Nina please finish your Finish your point, I'm sorry. No,
1: no, no, yeah. please interrupt me. No, like, there's a sense, like,
0: we're among the ruins. Like, even, like, something as banal as the other day, there was this TikTok uh, that got spread around. Uh, my good friend, Catherine D., you know, default friend, she mm-hmm. she goes on TikTok, like, four hours a day. I don't know how. But uh, <laughs> um, there was this TikTok about this, like, project manager for some tech company, and there's, like, two of these, you know, very you know, attractive young women, um some i mean well the mid thing is we could get into that discourse but like it they were talking about like well you know we're project managers and we motivate the team and blah blah and it's like anything other to do than tech but the thing is like it, it's the people were like incredibly upset um you know usual like you know raywing trad people in my circles but then like the other response being is that well this is like, I mean, as much as you want to admit it or not, like this is sort of the way in which the workplace and academia and various institutions in society, they very much have, I mean, to use a meme term, they have like a very gynocratic, um, in terms of, I would say like, how shall I call it? The, the sort of the socialization and the operational, um, ethos of the way in which these workplaces operate. It seems that, it necessitates a certain form of uniquely feminine interaction and ways of doing things, which may not be conducive to like <laughs> the, which I mean, what's the greater evil? Like, is it that, or is it like, you know, Oh no, should focus hard on tech. And it's like, it's gotta be productive <laughs> all the time. It's gotta be autistically, you know, <laughs> productive, but then it's true though. I mean, when we are, when civilization has stagnated to such a point, it's it's like well maybe that's we should question like okay yeah whatever it's great that women are accepting themselves but at the same time it's like well there are things there are things coming down the pipeline in terms of the the motions of history that like maybe you know we should we should put the pause button on some things here i don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know
1: yeah, I, I think we need to acknowledge like several things. I mean, one of which is that a mixed sex workplace is not good for anybody yeah. in the main. I think it doesn't work. It, You know, it's um, I mean, it's 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 sad because like lots of people used to meet their spouse at work, you yeah, know, but now yeah. you have all of these extreme restrictions on, you know, interacting and you know, everyone is quite, men are quite rarely terrified of being reported to HR for any kind of minor transgression or, you know, like retweeting a bad joke outside of work oh, hours or one, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, so so everyone's in a state of terror looking for microaggressions or whatever. So it's not going to happen there. And I think that, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of too complicated. I mean, Illich talks about this in his book on gender in 1982, mm-hmm. which he got very, very cancelled for. And, and he says that basically... You know, <laughs> industrial modernity is the, uh, again, like making indifferent of sex. So like previously sex um, a sphere, different, there were different spheres, basically, of behavior and tool use and, beha- you know, that were related to men and women. And everybody understood this to such a degree that it was basically tacit in most cultures. It was yeah. just like men do this, women do that. And it was... Um, symbiotic and, and harmonic and men and women would come together at particular points usually mm-hmm. in a ritualized way to meet one another and you would have a much more community sense of like you know who would make a good match for example let's say if you wanted to match people up whereas now you have a kind of horrific combination of like you know super autonomous liberal individualism which is like actually very painful for most people yes it's yeah. very hard to be you know i always make this point but like you know, to have to reinvent the moral wheel on your own is like actually extremely difficult for everybody. You know, like it, if you've got pre-existing sets of rules like communities, parishes, churches and so on, it's actually like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. Uh, you know, we are relational in that sense. So, you know, you have individualism combined with this like terror, paranoia, Stasi, Panopticon state, like. Fear of even a minor transgression will get you denounced and, you know, like blacklisted or whatever and no forgiveness, no atonement. <laughs> you know,
0: Church like of no salvation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no salvation. And so, yeah, so I think the workplace thing, I, I think we're coming to the end of a particular liberal image of the workplace i mm. think probably will end up like this like most people will be on online in on our pods yeah <laughs> the, yeah the laptop class whereas you know the poor people will still be running around like delivering things to people and uh, like we saw in the pandemic but just kind of sped up
0: yeah, um, yeah. and yeah do, do you think that um when it comes to i mean You've experienced this first. I don't know if you want to get into this, but like you've experienced firsthand um, in academia. I mean, have, someone who was thinking of the Ph.D. track, but then it's like, oh well, I'm not. I don't have that particular like personality for it. I guess you could say, like that sort of. It seems that they're looking for a specific phenotype. But like you've experienced this firsthand um, in terms of like how you, you were quote unquote canceled. And how, like, it seems that a lot of your current work is motivated by this unchaining from um, a system that in some ways is decaying, but in the other ways, I think, still has enough perception of legitimacy and will to power to, like, sustain itself, at least for, like, maybe a few more, a decade or so. But, like, you were saying, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, the way in which men and women socialize, like, it seems that we're lacking the thoroughness of it. But when it comes to, like, Mm -hmm. what's so interesting, though, is that it's, like, this hyper-liberal discourse that, like, comes from the political left. But when it comes to, like, you know, the remaining theory cells in academia, like, you know, they they still have the pretense of when we finally achieve the revolution, when there's some kind of, like, I don't know, strange Marxoid um, thing that happens to the West that you know all of a sudden the workplace is going to be this harmonious collectivist thing and there's not going to be there's going to be camaraderie but then that's like soviet retread nostalgia Mm. so what do you make of like the picture of the contemporary left-wing politics how how do they mediate like extreme individualism that is necessitated by the current regime ideology and like this lip service to older notions of like marxism for instance
1: yeah, I mean, I think there's a kind of delusional utopianism that is a uh, characteristic of the, the residual left, like the old left, right? Mm-hmm. And in a way that, it, it, you know, delusional utopianism is what characterizes the left, like, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. You know, like, yeah. the revolution is just around the corner and, you know, everything is terrible now, but, you know, one more push, comrade. And, you know, so I think, um, yeah, and actually I have to say... Y- you know, knowing some of the old leftists in academia, I mean, the the levels of cowardice on show by them are just like spectacular. I mean, like literally, they've all just retreated into their, you know, tenure positions, and they say nothing, they comment nothing on, you know, the the sort of <laughs> range collapse of everything, um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, the, the sort of uh, destruction of reality. So, I mean, I I think you know what as we've seen in like recent years, like I mean, I got into academia when it was when it was free. It was like the 90s. It was fun. It was interesting. It was exciting. People wanted yeah. to stay up all night and take drugs and drink and
0: talk about Riot Girl, the, the young British. You know, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, it was really cool. And that's why I wanted to stay in it. It gradually got less and less cool <laughs> and more and more restrictive and more boring and, you know, uh, you know, people were like ending up borrowing 50k in the UK to study, everyone was anxious, everyone was depressed, no one could think, no one could talk, everyone was probably like just absolutely terrible. So I think, you know, it's clear that what a few of us have been doing is this post-academic, para-academic thing. And you're right that like, in a way, we're still depending upon the the gains or whatever, the status that we accrued, right? Like as academics, which isn't going to be the same for people who are you know, can't afford existentially or economically to borrow the sheer amount of money it would take to, to actually study. Like oh, like yeah. I say, all of my degrees were free, literally. Which is like kind <laughs> of unthinkable for most people today, right? And it, you know, I am I am older <laughs> than, than a lot of people I'm talking to, but it's it wasn't that long ago, you know. Right. And I think we could easily go back to a system where it was much more um you know, uh, how, do, how to put it, like, harder to get into university. There are fewer universities, but they actually had a right. higher standard. They weren't just churning out ideological pablum and, you know, the same old sh- that everyone now has to repeat. That, But they were actually genuinely, like, places of higher learning and that you had very strict entry requirements and you took in a fewer people, and but the state would pay for them and it was yeah, yeah. for the good of all, you know, and, and not this... De- you know essentially universities now are just like debt making machines and they keep young people out of the workforce because there's no jobs for them you know mm-hmm. and and this is why you see this vicious competition between younger people who are like use anything to get ahead including cancelling
0: her- each other yeah
1: yeah because they've been taught to be like vicious little Hobbesian f- <laughs> it's like it's in a way it's not their fault and i kind of want to say this thing about men and women i was like forgot to make this brief point before it's like one of the things i think we we have to avoid like whatever our politics political position is this kind of desire to blame the other sex you know i see a lot mm-hmm. of it in right-wing circles where men are like there's a kind of joking misogyny but then there's sometimes a kind of like there's
0: very real like
1: yeah female an
0: annihilationist way. discourse.
1: Right. There's yeah. sort of outright hatred in some quarters, whether it's on the basis of a bad experience with a woman and therefore, you know, and then a generalization. But I think like the the, the superior position is really to recognize how this culture f***s both men and women, mm-hmm. you know, and that like one is not responsible for the other. Right. And we, we're talking about these kind of patho- pathologies, like the, the negative feminine energy of the contemporary workplace.
0: Right.
1: B- right. But that's bad for men and for women. Right. And the contemporary dating scene is bad for both men and women in different ways. Like, it's not like one group is kind of, you know, it's not like women are winning, like, although that can. Yeah,
0: that's often neglected in right wing circles. I mean, there I think there is some awareness, though, there are certain people like I mean, I know. But of course, you like like me, you get accused of being a simp, right? Like, I'm, I'm simping right now by having you on my <laughs> podcast. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there is some awareness of I, the archetypal forces that are at work here. I think that, I, I said this to Catherine, actually, uh, surprisingly enough. I said, like, there's, no, actually, no, I said this to Alex Kashuda, that there's only, like, a narrow band of femininity that is celebrated. That there mm-hmm. isn't, like, the full potential, even the way in which, um the image of the young girl is being commodified that that is like the eternal wellspring of youth that the girl boss is both the eternal young woman and the crone and the other aspects of femininity that used to have a place in society. They're being displaced like the mother, for instance. And it seems that like that is often ignored in right wing spaces because I think like there's a hyper focus on the sort of like girl boss, um, you know, like the sort of, Manosphere 2010's discourse is, I, I think it's slowly starting to crop like being questioned even like there, there's this really great um, documentarian I interviewed. His name is Crooner. He did this e-girl documentary series and uh, I think you would love it. Nina. I'll send it to you, but mm. we were, we had on a previous episode of content minded, we were talking about how it's not that, you like a, the mistake isn't you shouldn't conquer the feminine, it's that the feminine has to have a proper reawakening in some respects, and that the sort of like discourse around, like you mentioned in your book Hypergamy, for instance, like it's you have to like realize that if man has a solidified nature, the feminine also has a nature that has to mm-hmm. be contended with. And you know, when I say nature, I do realize that a lot of it is constructed at least to an extent constructed does not mean not real it just it's the reality of being gendered beings right but it seems that like the extreme response by a lot of right-wing discourse in like i wouldn't even say particularly right-wing because there's a lot of people in the manosphere that wouldn't identify with a lot of aspects of the right but like in terms of like let's say 2010s you know anti-sjw manosphere sjw discourse it seems that a lot of those concepts are apt, but like the approach to it is kind of like equally unhealthy, not in the unhealthy in like the media, like, oh, my God, they're going to go out and do mass. You know what
1: YouTube mm-hmm. purpose
0: is redacted. Um, like, I mean, it serves as a having been in the Manosphere for a long time. It does serve as like kind of a weird crab bucket for very bitter disenfranchised men, which I mean, that's terrible, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, so like several things, it's a very uh, interesting set set of questions. Like, I, I don't know. So, for example, I mean, desire is unfair, right? Like, yeah. it is true that there are some men who will never, like, n- date a woman or, like, mm-hmm. come anywhere near, like, uh, I don't know, a stable relationship or uh, let alone a marriage, right? And this is an extremely disaffected position. And it's one that does indeed breed resentment, um, you know, and in a sense, you could say quite rightly that's completely understandable. Like, who doesn't want to be loved, right? Who doesn't right. want to, you know? And so, one solution to that is the kind of make yourself more alpha thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you can actually. There it looks are some,
0: maxing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can. You can do. There are actually lots of things you can do. You can like improve your mind. You can read books. You can become, you know, you can like get fit. You know, there's there's this kind of. Um, like you know, boosterish thing, which like I I defend in the book. I said like you know what's what's wrong with being fit, <laughs> whatever. Like this is this is all good, you know. I don't think there's something inherently like uh, right wing about that. although the liberal media are always keen to tell you that that there is some yeah. link between you know gyms and no fap and anything that men do must somehow be right wing, uh, not necessarily. I mean, I think yeah. The other aspect of this is like the thing you touch on, which is to do the kind of like the mythopoetic or the archetypal and you know, the fact that like, as you say, the image of the woman is is so reduced, it's it's extremely narrow. It's it's narrow for women, too. I mean, the number of women who have issues with not fitting into that thing, you know, you see that in the kind of transition of young women, because they don't fit right. like a feminine, right. to, you know, it's absolutely like tragic, you know, and all the people like when I was growing up, like there were tomboys, like I was a tombo- <laughs> yeah. Tomboy. tomboys were cool, man, like they didn't, you know, and it, it wasn't, that you thought like, oh, I must be a man because I don't like em- embrace every single aspect of Disney f- femininity. It was just like, <laughs> no, was, yeah. like, you do what you want. <laughs> like, and it was, we, it was genuinely progressive if we want to use that word in the nineties. Like there was a moment where I think we were heading in the right direction where it was kind of, you know nobody cares actually. Like it doesn't matter what you wear or what you're into. It's all good basically. And it doesn't make you one thing or another That said, I think at this juncture, like what is what makes more sense is to actually go back to these questions of essentialism of like the mythopoetic of the archetypal in the broadest sense for both men and women. Right. Which is kind of like a pagan position, Mm -hmm, um, which mm -hmm. is to do with like, even though we're in this kind of, you know, post-industrial nightmare world in which we're kind of segregated from nature, including our own nature, which is why people are going mental. Is to to nevertheless try to tap into that, which is obviously what people like Robert Bly and others were doing mm-hmm, with the mythopoetic mm-hmm. stuff. And I think if we have a mythopoetics of, of both men and women, or male and female, and that we embrace it at a sort of like cosmic level, almost like that we do understand. And you know, you can you can use psychedelics <laughs> to reflect on these things, but to you know to really like drill down into this like. You know who or what we are, right? Like, right, what is our right. place in the universe, and how we relate to one another? And you know, again, even like you, you joked about the simp thing, but this is like, there are so many other ways of men and women relating, like as friends or whatever, that that that, that can't or shouldn't be reduced to these like I don't know, um, very internet meme type. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Like, um, so yeah, I'm I'm very into it, all the things that we're not supposed to be into, like nature you know, essence.
0: (laughs) Essence (laughs) especially is like, that's the big no, no, like that's.
1: You know, know, but I think that those are our defenses against this homogenizing, you know, mechanizing, you know, making same of everybody, you know, which is causing untold misery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think what I wanted to ask you though, um, the, now that we've touched upon it and having like, well, with a kayfabe kayfabe, having a lot of sympathies towards this particular category. um, I guess the insult question would be another, would be like, I guess this is what we're alluding to. I've written about it for many years now. I mean, I've had, you know, from, especially from my, you know, when I was in grad school and I get a lot of heat for this in the political right, but I am a fastidious reader of Michel Foucault. And to me, I feel that the incel is a form of biopower, or at least very highly edipolized biopower, and that the incel serves a lot of different functions of like modern governmentality, and the sort of following of the man as a human resource. It seems like the incel, on one end, is an unruly aspect that resists particular forms of symbolic significance within our society whether it comes to the aspect of sexuality but on the other end it's not the way in which in the political left you have various modes of quote-unquote resistance to sexualization which you alluded to which is like the erasure of the tomboy through the f2m whether it's asexuality whether it's a weird sort of queer politics that resists sexuality it seems like the incel It's the unruly aspect of that, but at the same time, the incel is subject to a huge apparatus of biopolitical control, whether it's surveillance, whether it's a sort of placing of the subjectivity of young men, young white men in particular, into the category of like, you are X, Y, and Z. Because at the one end, sexual worth becomes like the mode by which you are accepted in society. But then if like, when you don't, when you fail to achieve that, especially as a man, it seems like, uh, it seems like that becomes the metric by of worth. But at the same time, you know, we gripe about sexualization, but people, as we are obsessed about sex, we're having less sex than ever, right? Mm-hmm. Statistically, I mean. Mm-hmm. So, what do you make of like the incel, as, and we can talk about the femcel as well. But like, what <laughs> the cell. What do you think of like the incel as this like? Biopolitical entity now as a category,
1: yeah. I mean, it's very interesting (laughs) what you're saying. (laughs) I think,
0: yeah, I mean, academics would say this is terrible, by the way, but you know, you know, no, no, no.
1: no. I I think you're right to think about it in these, like, kind of Foucauldian type categories. It's like, um you know, I mean, we are talking about biopower, really. And if you think about it, at the level of sex and energy, and, you know, this is why they wanted to to call the no fat movement, some right wing, you know, thing when it's when it's not, but, but there's something kind of about the liberal agenda, which somehow requires people to be in a permanent state of shame, because they're using too much pornography, right? So right, it's like, right. you know, the liberal model of sex is like, pornography is great. You must watch porn, you know, and, and I think the the resistance to that on the part of, of, of quite a few men is very, very important and very revealing because it's like, it's a recognition of what libidinal energy is, in fact, you know, yeah. and that
0: yeah. to
1: refuse to enter into that kind of pact of shame, you know, is actually a very powerful move. Um, so that there's there's the kind of question of like sexual energy. I, I think other cultures or previous cultures maybe had like, obviously, different ways of dealing with let's say men who were um, forcibly celibate or were, not, were um, I don't know, not going to get married for one reason or another. And we right. can talk about m- monasteries. And of course there are nunneries too. And, you know, there's- Or they religious- died
0: in war. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Or war, right? So like, yeah. these are like the solutions in heavily inverted commas, right? To these kind of questions. It's like not everyone, you you know, will get to marry and reproduce, right? Like, and this is one of the, the main claims of men going their own way, who I mentioned- yes. in the- in the book you know that actually they they say that 60% of all men haven't reproduced you know which is kind of like an interesting claim because mm. they're including all of the, like the young men who have died in war and and so on and so forth and, right, and right. so actually you know <laughs> and their starting point therefore is well you are like m- maybe more likely than not to to not have a sexual partner and blah 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 you know and yeah. and then why not preemptively take the the position as right, a like right you know, right right you know, to dignify the position you're in because you refuse the entire culture. Um, but I think, yeah, the, I, I mean, this is the reason why I liked um, Alex Lee Moyer's film, like TFW, mm. No GF, because I, I think it was very sympathetic portrayal of the, the men that she spoke to. Um, you know, and, and like it made me think of like right. in the monasteries, when, when, the, when the men are copying out the
0: manuscripts,
1: this is like making memes. It's true, though. It's true. As a nurse
0: myself, I could appreciate that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, it really occurred to me. I like uh, recently, I was thinking about, like, you know, you had all these men just, like, kind of copying out these beautiful images and these words. (laughs) And it's
0: like, the book of kells is, yeah
1: this is what's happening you know like meme culture is just updated monk culture <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> what's funny like that feel one no gf i think i will i i know people like i'm I'm good friends with barrett who is a producer yeah on that and uh, i think i will have alex one day because uh there are some issues i have with the film in terms of focusing on incels and of course well oh i shouldn't even i shouldn't even say it because like I had a famous falling out with one particular person in, in that film. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I think that w- at the time when I, I watched it, to me, I really liked it. I mean, maybe because I, for some weird reason, I'm attracted to um, these like really modeling and quiet Canadian, mm-hmm. North American indie films. And to me, it reminded me of a lot of cinema that portrays life at the bottom and very particularly north american underclass semi-rural small towns like i I love that love it i love it but and so to me i think the mood and the atmosphere it's Mm -hmm. indicative of it but when it comes to the actual question of the incel i think that um i think that in some ways the film didn't grapple with that question so much it was about a very particular slice of t- post 2016 frog twitter which in some ways in some ways doesn't p- depict the whole like, you no, know, a plethora of I, it, but, I'm
1: yeah. sure, like, and I don't know enough about the details of the individual characters or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, but, I no, unfortunately
0: I do, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, sure. I mean, I yeah. suppose just as a kind of critic, you know, I reviewed the film, I just thought, like, that this is really important because it kind of humanizes this group.
0: Uh, right, you know, whether right.
1: these people are rep- men are representative or not. And also it points out the kind of economic question. It's like, no, these exactly. are people living in small towns with cool opportunities, like not very much access to jobs, and, you know, like, it really uh, gave this personal dimension to this group, which are otherwise generally dismissed and treated as like, you know, scum, basically, you yeah. know, like, and, and, you know, the new rule, like the, the rule of our liberal regime is like, you're allowed to hate people that you say hate. So it's like, yeah. okay, if you say that incels hate women, then you're allowed to hate incels. <laughs> and in fact, you're allowed to do whatever you want
0: to them, right? Right, right. They're so, abandoned to the law. They yeah. They become the homo
1: exactly no, no, i said that stream
0: sense. once and i was a, you know, you
1: know. <laughs> right and so you know like and then ultimately it's like well if the if what the incel wants is to be loved it's like well, right. this is extremely human i mean like <laughs> really we're gonna say that that's a bad thing now you know
0: yeah i'm a human and i want to be loved yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I know, just
0: how- like everybody else today yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know and but look, I mean, I, I agree. Look, it's a it's a serious, you know, question. It's like,
0: Brilliant. I mean,
1: Welbeck deals with it in his novels. I mean, mm-hmm. endlessly, right? This question of of the unfairness of desire, it, it's a brutal um, problem that I, we don't have a solution to in the exactly. absence of mm-hmm. monasteries, you know. And and look, you, you're not going to get women. Uh, you know, if, if women start being compelled by the state to have relationships with men, this is, <laughs> this is also not what we want. <laughs> Same,
0: well, st- some people.
1: <laughs> I know, some people want that. But, you, yeah. I mean, you can't have it both ways. It's like if you have a highly educated population, right?
0: Right, right, right. You,
1: you, you know, women famously, like, the more you educate them, the less they want to do trash things, right? So I my my sort of, you know, pagan Illichian solution is to really like roll back all of those things for everybody for us to live in a more sustainable way in smaller communities in which we have much more care and protection for each other and this kind of um I don't know the mechanism of the the image you know the kind of brutality of of the the fantasy it's like most people for most of history would have married like the brothers or sisters of the family who lived down yes, the road yes yes they would not be marrying movie stars or <laughs> fantasizing about having sex with who do you know what I mean?
0: Like, exactly. Yeah. We are,
1: we are destroyed yeah. by these images, whether they're pornographic, you know, I mean, to the extent that like the image of the girl has imprinted or the woman has imprinted itself on loads of men in this pornographic way, you know, they like, it. it's such a powerful um, image, but it's so destructive.
0: Exactly. And it's yes, like, yes.
1: nobody gets to f- the most beautiful person in the world. And yet yeah. this is, this is what like, everyone is sort of like being told by these images. It's like, It doesn't exist. Beauty is a curse. All of the fairy tales tell us this, right? Beauty is not something to to want or desire. It's actually extremely dangerous for the person who is beautiful. And I've known some very beautiful people and it's actually horrible for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, they actually have like a terrible life because everybody wants them, but they don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it's it's so much better to be like average looking... (laughs) And actually, you could you could do a lot. Like people can. Like you know, I always think like if men just like wear a wear a shirt or something, like or a suit or anything. You know, honestly, women are so kind and so easily impressed.
0: <laughs> I think really, maybe my are. me wearing a fez, wear that could be some quirky, uh, esoteric way. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <but> I, I <laughs> is it working, Nina? Am I wor- is it working?
1: No, I'm I, I think you're looking great. You're, you look like very orthodox.
0: Yeah, I okay. know, but I'm a Catholic, but maybe I'll I don't know, the way <laughs> the Catholic Church is going, maybe I got <laughs> Yeah, you to
1: go to like Armenian or Russian Orthodox or something There you like, go. You some <laughs> awesome. some, like really hardcore robes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the monastery idea is fascinating. Um I I had this controversial tweet once where I said that, you know, people talk about the fem cell, which I mean is an often me me and default talk about this, but like it's an mm. often neglected, I think category because the incel um the suffering of the incel unfortunately in a lot of cases has well not a lot like a few cases has been public i mean we all i mean in the book you wrote about you know 4chan we call saint eliot right <laughs> saint eliot oh god that's terrible but um it seems that you know i had this tweet once about how the absence of the nunnery in the west it tends <laughs> to like all of these like let's say unconventional women they found a great community and a great longing and you know let's face it let's not be i'm a catholic but like let's be honest a lot of those women had a lot of um issues in terms of their own sexuality as well i mean we all know about the lesbian nun thing i mean not to overblow it but like it seems that unconventionality in terms of your own sexual identity there were elements within society that helped mediate that very like female centric like wholly run by women structure that nunneries provided right under the auspices of you know various churches and i i know like a you know vatican II, like there there was a lot of like liberalization and a lot of less than you know orthodox things that happened but i think that you know i remember paglia talking about how mm-hmm the the rad films of old how they had the les the the nun phase right the nunnery phase it seems that it is there's is a truth to that in that there are there were options for all male or all female spaces back in the day that served a higher purpose in the absence of creating a productive family life they had it was the service of god service of nation service of a people, but now it seems like even artists back in the day, and you know, great scientists and philosophers. I mean, you have to realize like the grad departments were always like havens for uh, fem cells and incels back in the day, at least. But it it seems that in the absence of this, like what option is there? Because I know that women, I think the fem cells are given some option that is terrible, ghastly. But people like you know, the incel is given nothing almost, right? Like they're given. Uh, you know they besides pornography besides various palliatives which we can all, you know pornography video games um mm-hmm. other things it seems like there isn't an option geared towards men who are disenfranchised by the modern like you know after the orgy society
1: um yeah for sure and i and i think i uh, had to put it i mean you know there are still monasteries and Oh yes of course let's be clear but i mean it's yeah i i agree with we, we, we've kind of generally been forced into this mixed society, right? Like we have no choice. you know I talk about this in the book. I think yeah. you know there are only kind of really strategies for for kind of getting along, you know, which is what I propose. Right, but right. rather than this kind of you know buying into the hostility and the and the suspicion and the terror. but but yeah, I mean in terms of these kind of forms of um segregation or separation, you know and and, and we we mean I, I guess I mean that positively, potentially, you know, I mean, you do have some interesting rad, rad fem ideas from the 70s about um, separatism, um, yeah. where you would, would have kind of female-only communes, sometimes guarded by guns, you know, like yeah. <laughs> they really would be like female kind of only um, spaces. And and they would actually, it's interesting, there's a kind of um, rad femme anti-Asian argument, by yeah, the way, which is. no one ever talks about, um, which is to say like, you know, oh, it's, Life is good, like violence is bad, abortion is violence, men are violent, but it's not women's fault that they get pregnant, right? So let's right. let's let's um bring up children collectively, you know, as women, right? Like that was actually a strong Rat Femme position that was on the side of nature and production and life and all right. of those things. Right. But it's not a religious anti abortion <laughs> argument. It but it mm-hmm. it does mm-hmm. have a kind of uh, a, a sort of female um claim to peace and nature and life right. and all
0: there's eco-feminist ideas as well yeah. there's maria von franz for instance, is, comes to mind if we're talking yeah, about mean, yeah
1: yeah no it, exactly and like you know people often forget that there's that, you know this current iteration of feminism isn't feminism at all it's some like liberal egregore you know, it's a monstrosity as nothing yeah, exactly. to like yeah. women or like <laughs> anything, you know, it's just a kind of uh, supplement to, you know, this this particular, you know, moment in the regime. It, it's, uh, um, yeah, so, so I don't know, like this, I think we're coming back to the, this question of what to do with like men and like how, you know, and I guess one of my other slogans all the time is this idea like everybody deserves beauty Right. Mm-hmm, but, but not mm-hmm. the beauty that we're sold. It's like to find beauty in nature, in the outside, in art, in literature, you know, to cultivate oneself um, in this way, I think is is also kind of I don't know. It's some some sort of necessity, if you like. And
0: to it always I don't know, was. Like, yes, exactly.
1: It always was. It always was. But I think to like. It's part of also this kind of moving away from this domination of sex, you know, like, I think this sex negative turn is very interesting, you know, and Mm. and, like say, people are having less sex, you know, and I think there is, there's a kind of increasing horror of the like, you know, the reality of of sex in terms of bodies together, like, you know, we live in an increasingly disembodied way, you know, yeah, I wanted
0: to touch upon that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and, but I'm wondering if there's a way in which the kind of sex negativity, you know, the kind of 60 years after the sexual revolution, like it's obviously not been great in loads of ways for mm-hmm. a lot of people, men and women. You know, it's been very, very socially destructive, like this image of freedom as the freedom to f- around is actually
0: right. the freedom
1: to be sort of, you know, destroyed.
0: <laughs> by yeah. your own and it seems that like in terms of social institutions, like I know that on social media, like on Twitter, there's always algorithm manipulation. It must be worse on TikTok. There was this tweet that blew up the other day about like like oh actually you know it's a good thing that di- that mass divorce is a thing that you know women are liberated now and that you know children growing up in broken homes it's a good thing actually like it seems like that argument to me i mean can we have not like it's the same thing with uh, the abortion issue which i guess i wanted to touch upon beauty but i guess we'll go back to the beauty thing mm-hmm. um because I have ideas about that, but let's, let's tackle something I wrote in my notes, which is, um, <laughs> oh man, I don't know. It just like some kind of academic rivalry here, but like, <laughs> let's talk about like the work of people like Sophie Lewis that talk about, you know, because if reproduction is coupled from sex, if the control of reproduction enables a certain freedom that women have, and that if men are becoming increasingly irrelevant, then like her, her book, which I mean, from my Religious perspective is ghastly, but like in terms of intellectual content, let's say that this is the way in which the sort of liberal regime is going towards questions of family life and reproduction. What do you make of like the full surrogacy now thing? Like, you know, maybe it's a good thing that like because in terms of ancient times up until recently, children kind of were raised in common by women in communities and that men had a different tertiary role later on in the development of children historically, because by necessity, women had, you know, very strict control over family life, Believed, you know, but, mm. but nowadays it seems that in the absence of that, to go back to that in a very like inverted, you know, terribly secular, terribly liberal, and almost, I would say in her book, nihilistic way, I mean, it, it basically is what perennialists call the counter-initiation, right? It's like taking yeah. the au- inverse of that. So what do you make of, like, the full surrogacy now thing? Like, yeah. And well, she's I also mean, said a lot of sus things. Oh, but I'm not going to get into gossip. But yeah, let's, yeah go ahead.
1: No, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's she's taken a logical position and pushed it to its end. So in that mm. sense, she's a bearer of the, you know, particular, as you say, nihilistic or even satanic Liberal yeah. direction, which is the total separation of, um, you know, I don't know, mother from child ultimately. So, you know, right. the surrogacy in practice is rich people paying poor women to carry their child, which then right. the mother technically never sees again. I mean, this is
0: horrible, right? Right. And the, the, the it, idea of like children being held in common is sort of like deeply, uh, a- I mean, anti tradition in the most deepest sense, right? Like, I mean, children become a vector of collective social technology in other words yeah
1: yeah and I think I think sometimes it's overplayed by people on the left who might be engaging in this form of kind of uh you know what we described earlier this sort of utopian delusion right like Mm -hmm. because sometimes I mean I read this excellent book by Ferdinand Ferdinand Mount recently who was like one of Thatcher's script writers and he wrote this amazing book called The Subversive Family. And he suggests that actually the left is, is completely wrong about the idea that we used to live in a much more communistic way and that somehow the nuclear family was invented by the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, that story that we're very familiar with from a kind of, you know, vulgar Marxist account of history. Right. He says it's just not true. <laughs> he says that basically the, the overriding model for the vast majority of human history, he says it predates even like the ancient Greeks, it predates Christianity, is of more or less a man and a woman and their children together, right? Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. where people then also lived in like smaller units, or, you know, or- a The so ancient family was, way.
0: yeah, the, the yeah, tribal unit. but,
1: but then actually the family, as we, you know, the nuclear family is not the invention of the industrial revolution. It's actually something that's far deeper um, in our nature, if you see what I mean, in terms of how we actually right, right. want to reproduce and be together. Um, and that actually, when you start to try and communize children, like in the kibbutzim in Israel,
0: it doesn't oh, yes, work. that's right. Yeah.
1: It's actually very bad. <laughs> for people. people don't like it. They like their own children.
0: Right. Exactly. And there's
1: probably Exactly for that, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Or they're they're annoyed by their own children, but at least they're their own children, you know. So so Mount makes this very interesting argument, which is to say that the family as such is subversive in the sense that it is a bastion of resistance against precisely any form of politics, whether it's coming from the left or the right, which tries to mobilize the family in the name of another ideology. So Mm. let's say, oh, you need to create more children in order to uh, build the nation or Or you need to have more children in order to, I don't know, like, uh, you know, defend the commune or whatever, like so that the family itself becomes a source of um, protection and resistance also against ideology. And I think we saw this or we see this in the kind of resistance to CRT in schools, to drag performances we see it where families are pulling their kids out of school because they during the lockdown they saw what was going on on zoom and skype and they were like this is horrible i'm (laughs) taking my kid away from this you know so i think we see we do see and i i'm very i wrote this piece for compact recently which is a defense of the family in this in this way it's like no actually the family is subversive the family is not normie (laughs) and for now it actually protects us also because it's the people who care about us and know us best, which is also what you're seeing eroded when you right. have teenagers spending all their time online and they're being kind of groomed and manipulated into thinking that there's something else and they are being uh, explicitly um, you know, wrenched away from their parents and, and, and are being taught to see their parents as the enemy.
0: Yes, yes, yes. In, in a sense, family life has always been a sort of way in which men find significance because the other options that, you know, men have explored are both uniquely um, fascinating, but also terrifying when you have like Mm -hmm. a huge amount of young men that don't have a family life that don't have um, children. I mean, what happens usually like not very good things happens in society after that. Like, I mean, now that the world is sort of like, whether you want to say, like you said this once, I remember, Oh, was it with Justin Murphy or was it with, um, Jeffrey Schoelenberger? Like you said, you know, absolute, you know, society is going into this absolute death drive and that we're spiraling down the the, thanat- the way of Thanatos. And it's, and it's true though. It seems that like the fact that like, um, a lot of antinatalist and like quasi nihilistic ideas are being normalized. I understand like the impulse of someone like BAP to say, we mm-hmm. have to break out of this malaise and the only way to do it isn't like this moral revival that doesn't work, which I mean, I, I question that. I mean, I'm I, I criticize them in that respect, but I think that, you know, the other side, which is like this sort of uh, weird, like antinatalism and nihilism that's being normalized, especially among Zoomers, it seems that it's being inculcated within the cultural milieu that, like oh yeah life sucks and like having kids like it, like the sort of like argument that well you know you shouldn't be shouldn't be forced to have kids you know like it's it seems that the approach to family life is becoming increasingly like like the popification of the critique of the of family life is what I mean I think that's like to me disturbing but
1: yeah I, I don't know I mean maybe it's kind of like centrist and banal but it's like well if we, do care about like what most people want and what they say they want and and actually like when yeah when people i don't know like are maybe being turned away from what they really i mean this is a psychoanalytic question right like i agree it's very Mm -hmm. like there is very there's a dominant anti-natalism you know and you can use things like climate change or whatever yes yeah you yeah. create a situation where it's like oh no you you know people shouldn't be having children like there are too many of us whatever blah blah, blah. you know these are very very strong ideological pressures and the most over socialized to use Ted Kaczynski's words people will hear that message and they will be like right okay it's my responsibility not to have children and so on but that doesn't address individual desires or right. desires okay. at the smaller level right which which may very well be like no I actually do want to get married and have children right. and it's like well we should be, you know, like I speak to people who are 10, 15 years younger than me and they're like, I can't afford to get married and have a family, you know. And I'm like, that's absolutely f- terrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: How do we how do we stop that from happening? You know, like when people want something and but they can't do it because of this economic feeling or the feeling that they can't do because of this economic pressure. I don't, I don't know. Like but it just seems very, very wrong that you have people yeah. who want, who, you know, who really want to have families. I think families are good. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Yeah. It seems like the old leftist argument that um, it still crops up from time to time. I know like oh, the red tubers, they talk about um, in their various video essays with a lot of like uh, bisexual lighting. Um, it's <laughs> 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 like, I think a uh, Contra Points had no, was it? No, it was ContraPoints Points or was it Philosophy Tube? Um, had this video about how, like, you know, the, the thesis about the witch, like, the witches resisted capitalism, you know, they resisted family life, they had a position. So, the, the argument that, you know, the family, the bourgeois family was integral to the capitalist system because it created a new crop of workers and so forth. I think, like, that's being disturbed by the fact that, like, Let's, like, okay, without getting into hot water here, for you in particular, (laughs) it seems that, like, Western, like, particularly European family life has to be sort of, like, ablated for a variety of ideological reasons. But also, it seems that the production of more people in, you know, North America, Europe, Japan, like, that becomes complicated because of the capitalist system, but rather the solution is to import by any other, like, metric an indentured servitude slave class from the third world, then now the p- issue of reproduction of the capitalist system in terms of human stock, now that yeah. can be solved by globalization. Even, like, you know, even ghastly terrible solutions to particularly men of financial means like the importing of like mail-order brides from the third world, for instance, like that is another, or like you mentioned surrogacy, right? Like that's a lot of poor third world women, you know, a lot of poor domestic women. Like it seems that the thesis that the family was integral to capital bourgeois capitalism, now that's gone. Now it's like, you know, globalization has filled the void, but that creates a number of other problems that, I mean, without getting into it, like us, the political right go about, All the time in terms of demographics but like it seems that like even okay bracketing the demographic argument of the political right let's just say purely from a human perspective the importation of like people from the third world to do menial labor like that's like that to me doesn't seem like a very good social model for a variety of reasons No,
1: no, I mean, I agree. I'd say like this is just absolutely brutal for everyone. Like, you know, I I, I like Simone Weil's argument in The Need for Roots,
0: yes, yes. yes, yes.
1: you know, the importance of of place and people, you know, and and I think it's a mistake for the left to concede any ground on this, you know, that, that actually, you know, what we're talking about in terms of a relation to the land and to work and to origin and to roots yeah. of all kinds is absolutely integral for our sense of who we are. And I think this kind of deracination for everybody, but particularly those people, and particularly people who are very highly skilled, who are also be, then being taken away from their own country. Yeah, that's another, so, ad,
0: exactly, that's another. Ad.
1: You know, I mean, this is this is horrific, right? So you yeah. end up, you know, even in Eastern Europe, like I, I, go, I spent some time in Bosnia. And oh, what, really? German, yeah. what Germany does is basically just cream off, in fact, you know, give economic offers to all of the brightest people, young people in Bosnia they have special kind of you know uh visas and so on and they just basically like um asset strip if you want to use that <laughs> word yeah,
0: or yeah human
1: population of these countries because they're richer than others you know and this is like inhuman it's it's bad for everybody it, it creates like you know uh yeah it, it leaves a lot of countries worse off in every respect because all of the skilled people have left and doctors and and everyone else and also you have a from, even from an HR point of view right like I don't know like I I, I speak to this woman who's from India and, and she's like a beautician and she was trained as a medical nurse in mm-hmm. India but mm-hmm. here the only job she can do is like waxing you know middle-class women's legs you know
0: yeah yeah like
1: you know this is like what the f- is the point in that like or taxi drivers who you meet who come from all over the world who are like yeah engineers be a and- lecturer or an engineer and you're like well yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, this is stupid. I mean, what a stupid wisdom. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree. You know, global capitalism's solution to, uh, you know, needing more workers is simply the global free movement of, of people.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which
1: which I think in practice doesn't help anybody. You know, is actually just devastating for, for for everybody, but particularly for those people who are like economically coerced to sell their bodies and surrogacy or move countries and abandon their own yeah. background.
0: But I had this thesis once I was on another podcast. I said like, it's funny how a lot of these like decrepit boomer politicians, like, I mean, they have hate, they have a hatred of Russia for a variety of other reasons, but it seems like to me, a big factor, a big factor in like the support of the current uh, conflict is because like A lot of, like, the uh, sex tourism that happens in Eastern Europe and a lot of, like, the cam modeling and OnlyFans. It seems like the picture of, like, the incredibly hot um, blue and yellow country woman is motivating, like, boomer politicians to basically risk the possibility of World War III because of their own libidinal desires for the slavic eastern woman male order bride uh slash cam girl it's like i don't know if that's true or not that's a totally crazy thesis but it seems like that's like a weird like you know when we think of like in terms of like a certain order of like the political class it's mm-hmm. almost like there's a to global politics and conflict i don't know if that i know nina that's a crazy thesis i no, I, no, no, I, I, think, I, I should have spared you from that one but no
1: No, no i think look there, there is a way and you know you can read leotard and others on this or or even giordano bruno like all politics is libido exactly you
0: know, and, all, and, and, all,
1: and all politics is magic because magic is the manipulation desire right so it's it's absolutely um i don't know how to put it like uh possible and not, uh, unlikely that these things
0: play a role. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you <laughs> could say that, Nina, you could say that's totally crazy on my part. I, I wouldn't be offended. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I, I,
1: I, I think it is. But you know, like we're saying, look, I, I, I do think the image of the, the beautiful woman is like the er image of our time. That's like kind yeah. of corrupting everybody, men and women alike you know, whether it's confusing people about the object of their desire, and they want to become this thing, because they think this thing has all these other things. And, you know, it's very bad black magic, actually, what's (laughs) happening. And I I do, I do think probably, um, you know, that this, I mean, you saw it in the Iraq war as well, it was like, oh, let's liberate these women, because, you know, they're being they're not be. They're not. Free. You know. You had this kind of awful con- consumer fem- feminism, which I critiqued in the first book, which is being that's used. Right. To, yes. To, to, to promote war. You know, it's like saying, "Oh, we need to liberate these women so they can wear bikinis." Like,
0: <laughs> look I mean, at, look at what Iran Iranian women were before you know Ayatollah. <laughs> like, that's the boomer concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and so yeah. I mean, so I do think these things are like relevant, um, for sure, and yeah, I <laughs> I don't know, it's bad, it's bad magic
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> it's it's true, but I wanted to, t- I will bring up, I think I don't know if you've heard this critique or not, but when it comes to the, sort of, the imagio of the beautiful woman in terms of, like quote-unquote sex work, like that in itself is a problematic language, because the OnlyFans woman and, like, a woman on the streets doing prostitution, like, that's Like, you can't get, like, a world more apart. Like, I think it's disingenuous to say that they're in the same thing. But, like, when it comes to the aspect of in popular media and in OnlyFans, it seems that, like, the response to the more 1990s critique of the beauty industry from people like Naomi Wolf, for instance, right? Like, it, it seems that that's complicated now because it's no longer like the pornographic image of the beautiful woman but it's almost like now like like this is like again going back to like the mid discourse right the mid thing is like interesting to me because it seems like there's less than conventionally attractive women who are doing this degree of like soft pornography and who are now becoming normalized but the response to that is either is it a good thing that these beauty standards are coming apart? Which I mean, yeah, in some ways it is good. But then the option is like, well, now these things have enabled like ordinary women to do pornography, which is in itself another form of exploitation. So it's like, is the solution, is that really the solution is that we're going to like, and I know, like, I know like some like, you know, manosphere people like, they call it pussy inflation, right? Like, even less than conventionally attractive women are becoming attractive by virtue of, like, you know, the sexual marketplace being distorted or whatever, right? But, like, it seems like this, like, and the one end I do agree, I think that, like, beauty standards have been terrible for women, like, you know, when it comes to things like body image and anorexia and things like that. And now, like, you know, the digital aspect of it is also complicated when it comes to, like, the e-girl, for instance. Like, we can get into that. But what do you make of like now that unconventionally attractive women are also finding success within, quote unquote, sex work?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And it actually links back to the kind of BAP question in a way, which is about the reinstatement of beauty and the, right. and the fact that there are like, let's say, hard limits or that there should be. And that, that you know, because... Um, you know, of course, it's true. Like from the Dove adverts to like Calvin Klein or whatever. Like you know, we are seeing the <laughs> yeah. kind of increasing dominance of you know unconventional body types, which we are also supposed to think are beautiful and sexy, even when we don't, right? Right, <laughs> like right, this, right,
0: right.
1: Right. Like most people don't find these 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 women or men a- attractive actually, and this is another hard truth, right? So then you're like, oh, why are these things being pushed? Why are these things being promoted? Is it, in fact, to get people used to the idea that they should be unfit and unhappy and miserable right. and, like, that's the best they can accept? And, you know, because it, it's true, if you had a strong and healthy population, they wouldn't need, like, the medical industry. They wouldn't need to right. take antidepressants. They wouldn't need to, like, you know, they wouldn't eat bad food. They would, do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's manifestly exactly. obvious that way in which the system, you know, traps people within it like and and presents back images of that might lower their expectations about themselves for example you know and you could see this is an unhealthy culture you know illich was talking about this the medical industry in the early
0: 1970s right yeah yeah it
1: creates patients it's and then it's iatrogenic because it needs to hurt people in order to keep them (laughs) basically
0: 101 too as well yeah
1: yeah you know so you, you create everyone is a kind of medicalized um person in that sense and yeah, so so, I, but I know I, I know what you're saying. Like it's kind of, I mean, obviously, like at this point, I don't I don't think anyone should be watching pornography. I think OnlyFans is actually a deep state uh, compromat project. My-
0: whoa! Whoa! dropping the red <laughs> bells nina <laughs> yeah <laughs> no,
1: because it was strange like during lockdown it was like hey girls you know like it's it's not real sex work it's just a bit of fun you can make some money you know <laughs> and like you get all these college age girls and you you know you have universities that are like, promoting sex work for students and they're running oh, like courses okay. oh. and it's like arranged it's you know and you're like who who benefits from this right it's not the 18 year old girls who are like showing their breasts on camera like You know, this is actually potentially very dangerous for them later on or whatever. Like, you know, you're giving away even if you even if you create a culture of zero shame. Right. And you say, well, it doesn't matter. It's just a body. Who cares? You know, like you're never actually going to get there. You're going to get to a situation which we already have, which is like people using sexual images of other people in order to kind of have have threats over them. And if you have that at the state level, you know, I mean, there's compromise on everyone for everything. (laughs) Like we've created our own files as well.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, it's
1: so, true. You know, I'm, I'm very, very like against this. And, you know, I, I agree that it's different in, in nature from sex work. But if you read people like Rachel Moran, she's just written a very, very good essay as someone who's a former and and she mm-hmm. says, look, institution, a is not the oldest uh, industry in the world. It's, It's a profession. It midwifery is the oldest profession in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which I think is important just in that way that people have this fatalistic thing like oh you know prostitution must exist because it's always existed blah, blah blah, you know and and she also points out that like it's almost like we imagine a category of person largely women but not only who for some reason are not prey to all of the same feelings as other human beings which is right, to say
0: right
1: like that what that they they somehow fancy everybody who has sex with them no they don't no right God, no no. that I mean, they don't have any boundaries to, to their body. Of course they do, you know? Yeah. And we know about like the, the methods of dissociation and drug use and so yeah. on. That are, it, you it's, know, so
0: yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, it seems like when it comes to that, I mean, do you know that uh, YouTube channel, soft white underbelly? Have you heard about this? Well, he's a Mark, what's his name? Mark Lilla. He's, he was a photographer that used to go into Skid Row and the Castro and other places in Philadelphia in San Francisco and so forth. And he has this uh, YouTube channel that's very popular, gets millions of views of uh, people who are like in various states of like precariousness and objection, or even like just weird, interesting people who have paraphilias. But a lot of like popular content is interviewing (laughs) prostitutes, interviewing people who are in both female and male sex work um, of various kinds. And it seems, though, that there is that need to... It's almost like... I mean, I know voyeurism and exploitation as a genre of film and documentary has always been... Like, it's perennial. But it seems nowadays, people are very, like, hungry for this almost, like, I would say, emotional asthma in a way. (laughs) You know, emotional ASMR. It seems like to hear the story of people at the bottom, now that in itself becomes a mode of like weird enjoyment for people, which is kind of very, I don't know about that, if that's responsible or not. Like it's, it's vital in terms of understanding what people's experiences are like, especially like some of the horrific stories of these sex workers, like that they go into vivid detail, a lot of them, but I'm wondering, like, I don't know if like, that's actually good. (laughs) If that's like just gratuitousness. I mean, yeah. 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 You know,
1: it's a very interesting question. It's like the vicar- the desire for the vicarious horror, of the life of the other And I, I don't yes. know. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Or already in the nineteen nineties, like there was this definite push towards the misery memoir, whether they were true or false, yes. right? And a lot turned out to be like false. <laughs> but you would have like chat shows like Oprah Winfrey and um what was other, my favorite one? What's the other one? Uh the sort of like yeah, working class white woman, she like Oh, Janet have, like,
0: Laker, what was her name? Um no, it was
1: like I don't know. She was she had like this very sort of faux empathetic face, and it was all like, "Oh no, tell me about your story." Oh,
0: oh um, Ellen Degener, oh, What's he? Oh, Ricky
1: Lake, Ricky, Ricky Lake.
0: Lake, yeah, Ricky Lake, yeah.
1: <laughs> Ricky Lake, and you know, and they would always have these like yeah. absolutely terrible stories of like someone having the worst possible life, and you know, and like I say, like I'm sure most of them were like made up or at least exaggerated, and yeah. but there was clearly there's always been, I think, probably in also Victorian times, you know, stories of fallen women and. You know, yeah, like, people yeah. do love this. Like, I think because it reminds them <laughs> that, like, they're not in that position. Yeah, right? but, yeah. But it is is—it is a form of moral pornography, right? Like, it is. Moral the-
0: pornography, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: moral like, harassment. It's like, because it's true that basically anybody can fall. Like, anybody can lose their position. Anybody can get fucked up on drugs. Anybody could, like, I don't know, have a series of terrible things happen to them and then they yeah. end up, you know, so so you know, I think that, yeah, there's like that precarious enjoyment of not being that person. You know, yeah. it's a kind of yeah. weird inverted scapegoat thing, but um, as to whether we should encourage it, I don't know. It's it's like this very difficult, very tricky question. And like, also there seems to be less and less role today for fiction in some sense. People want the mm-hmm. auto fiction. They want the autobiography. They want the, you know- The confessional
0: like, article, the 2010s yeah. confessional article. Yeah. yeah.
1: More than like the story, more than the fiction, and, and you know, there's a kind of like war a literal war on the imagination. I yeah, think, you yeah. know, like all you know, novels now are read for their political, um, dogmatism, not you know, whether they they conform to the ideology, not because they're exercises in imagination, yeah. right? Yeah. And the same for pornography. You know, my ultimate critique of pornography is that it destroys the imagination, you know, you're filled with other images,
0: you literally. Of like, other people. Yeah, people yeah. are saying... Oh, did I cut you off, Nina? I'm very sorry.
1: No, no, no. And, de- like, just to say, you know, like, pornography, like... It, you're just flooding your own capacity to fantasize and to imagine with other people's images.
0: Exactly. No, but it's true. Like, a lot of men that I know, even... Like, it's very common if you look at, like, Reddit confessional subreddits or whatever. Like, you know, the when you're a young boy and you hit sexual puberty... And, like, you see women you like in your class or whatever what do you do you just off to them right like you imagine them but as time goes on as you're more and more imbibing in pornography the capacity to quote unquote get off just by the pure sense of imagination you can't do that anymore it's impossible you need that sexual stimulus and i think like that's a very fascinating development among like millennial and zoomer young men right like or well <laughs> But this really
1: is a slippery slope, right? And right. you hear men talk about the fact that they need harder and harder stuff to get off, like stuff that's more violent, you know, and they end up to like watching images of juice and like, you know, crossing a line in order, like, really viciously in order to like get the same hit, right? And this is like, this is one of the problems. If you start doing this, like, this is sometimes where it ends, you know, and like, we don't really have a culture of restraint or limits. We have one that says, if it feels good, you should do it because your desire is good. You know, Yes. And it's yes. not like love is not always love. Desire is not always good. Most of the time it's bad for you. Like most <laughs> of the things you want to do are bad for you. It's and I
0: true. Speak as someone,
1: I speak as someone who's like constitutively incapable of like not doing things that are bad for me. I like everybody. But, you know, like I, you know, I, I've been an addict. It's like I know what it's like to be enthralled to something that is destroying you and yeah. your life. And I, many, many people have an experience of this, whether it's pornography, substances, alcohol, whatever. Like you know, we live in a culture that does not encourage hmm. <laughs> the preemptive recognition of limits.
0: You know, exactly. And I think like um, t- like to me, it's it's very interesting. Like we were talking about the beauty thing. I my thesis is that when it comes to like quote unquote unconventional women getting into sex work, only fans having a parasocial relationship with their simps and pay pigs. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I mean, we laugh, but it's true. I think that the reason why it's because it's the illusion of attainability is even more pervasive than like what pornography used to be. Like, because there was this time in the early 2000s. I remember where like pornography was still seen as like edgy, and subversive mm-hmm. but then it was normalized in culture there was this weird intersect Maybe, may, may just me as like particular millennial you know 20 you know late 90s 2000s kid but it was like porn stars were in like had like um started cropping up in video game culture mm-hmm. professional wrestling metal music like it seemed like pornography was still on the, the cutting edge of like male edginess. But now it seems like pornography, like through 2010 sex posi feminism, it seems like pornography and the illusion of the attainable mid girl, now it's like almost female coded and like female, like it, it plays to the desires of feminine liberation as opposed to the desires of like, you know horny, aggressive young men playing video games, watching MMA. Uh, I don't know. But like, there still is that, though. There still is that. But now that porn has become ubiquitous, it seems like young women in there... It's not that their desires are being played to, because porn still is very like, male-centric in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but like their desires are being... Their desires are almost dictated to. Like It's like, you must be this person engaged in like, you know, being a, a a sponge for very particular forms of male attention. But then it's like, they say that they don't want that attention. I mean, who, who wants like a bunch of, no, like, they, yeah. they want the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: No, I mean, yeah. I mean, let's be clear. Like, I think women don't respond to pornography in the same way as men. They're not visually right, motivated right. in the same way. I think this is an essential truth fundamentally mm-hmm. that women are more interested in, narrative and they're more interested in forms of proximity and intimacy so like the virtual cam girl thing is very useful for women who don't actually want to engage in bodily contact with undesirable men Uh, and it also means they can make money and if you say well you know oh it's just as moral to make money showing your breasts on camera uh, as it is to like work in a nursing home then why wouldn't you you know it's easier you can do it from home you blah 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 you don't have to deal with other people you don't have to deal like so you being know, a podcast. So, <laughs> oh, no. I, mean, yeah. I mean we're all fruits, as you know, the pop group says.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, so I you know, in, in that sense it, it makes sense. Like it doesn't cost you that much. You know, you, you can make a lot of money and um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just because something's possible doesn't make it right, of course, right? Yeah. As Jurassic yeah. Park taught us. But um, you know, like I, I don't know what to say about it, really. It's just, uh, I. But I think this point about the, the, the attainable or almost attainable, like girl next door. I, I think, you know, there is something. It's like, it's, it's like really tragic in a way. It's like saying even the kind of woman that you might have expected to marry in the nineteen fifties or sixties, you can, you have to pay for
0: now. Like, oh my God, yes, oh, <laughs> oh, oh man, we're, fu- we're. F- <laughs> No,
1: but this but this is like awful for women too, right? Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that's right. You know, that's I mean, right, I I, yeah. look, I I agree that they have an advantage in this environment in 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 some ways, right? But, right, right. But ultimately, for women to sell themselves and to be uh, nihilistic, to be single, to to think that that's what freedom is, right, right, it's that's- also really really damaging for women, you know, and like you are going to see increasing numbers of women in their late thirties going, oh. shit.
0: Like you know It's already happening actually with older millennial women. I mean it's right. starting like you had this chapter in One Dimensional Woman. Um like for example, your, your good friend is also a good friend of mine, Daniel Miller, and uh Daniel Miller has immensely helped me out as well. And I want to get him on the show. Maybe if you could put in a good word for me. Uh he's he's just he's such a fascinating writer and, mm-hmm. and artist and uh like yeah um that's i know that you were viciously critiqued because very bad faith people are like who are you talking you a fascist? like i'm yeah, sure yeah. you're probably gonna get, like you know and never mind never mind don't worry about
1: but, but, but you know like you say i won't be nearly right-wing enough for your listeners right
0: no like, but my listeners love you though like i mentioned you quite a bit actually
1: <laughs> no but it's really it's, it's really like Bizarre. it's like where, where do you find yourself it's like you know half the people are calling you neoonazibia they're all like well you know she's a like liberal and you're like yeah like-
0: <laughs> people say I'm insufficiently enough but that's the problem <laughs> um book um one-dimensional woman uh what are you doing you're doing a very feminine exploitation activity right now Nina putting on lipstick i can't believe you <laughs> can't believe you betrayed the sisterhood you bet- <laughs> you betrayed the patriarchy. <laughs>
1: It doesn't even make me look better. I think I actually just do it as a kind of like, you know, Nina, you
0: have a natural beauty that it lowers yourself to even put on lipstick. Oh, it's god. like defacing, defacing a statue of Ishtar. Okay. I, I love but-
1: this. I love this feminist geo. It's like, you
0: know, <laughs> yeah. Oh definitely. my god, i mean it's so viciously canceled by right wing Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> they are already suspicious of me enough, but. uh no. <laughs>
1: You're like a 70s rat femme, man you're like no plastic surgery like
0: <laughs> I hate, I I mean even even like I find boob jobs abominable in my opinion I think that's abominable. Yeah. like it's oh man but uh, they're just not even appealing I'm, but any, anyways, uh, <laughs> I but anyways I bring up the point because uh, 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 in one dimensional woman mm. which I I really one dimensional man I think is probably the book that I would... like I mean, as much as I... I have a lot of sympathies towards Frankfurt thinking in terms of Adorno and Horkheimer. Um, Marcuse, when it comes to one dimensional Man, I do think is very important. I mean, Eros and Civilization I have a lot of problems with. But like, One-Dimensional Woman, there was this one um, chapter you said, uh, you're like an advert for yourself. Where you talk about, um, quote, from the boardroom to the strip club, one must capitalize on one's assets at every moment, demonstrating the one is indeed a good worker, a motivational employee, and that nothing prevents you from full immersion in the glorious world of work. And so, so even back then you were talking about the female coded nature of the workplace, but like you were saying deeper than just our relation to. The feminine in relation to the world of labor. But labor is important, of course, especially if you're a Marxist. But I think deeper than that, what you're saying is that the woman always has to be on in terms of even when the distinction between work and pleasure, which like OnlyFans supposedly is, but we all know it's not. But let's say like the implosion of the feminine as an object of desire is everywhere, is in the Mm -hmm. workplace, is in social circles. The woman, even unconventionally attractive women, are now being granted this, like, aura of commodified beauty. Which, I mean, what is it like, as a man, I guess I can't understand, as, like, a conventionally unattractive man, like, I can't, what is it like to be always on? Like, it seems women in particular, but men have to always be on in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it seems like, as society becomes more female coded, this like woman always experiencing the performativity of their own gender, it seems like that is becoming like the main thing now. Like, what is it? But experientially, what is that like, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to go back to that book. I mean, you're like an advert for yourself, by the way. You just mentioned Daniel. Is is a line I once said to Daniel when we were <laughs> friends a long time ago because he was like dressing up in this way. And I just thought it was a very funny line. But I think, yeah, I was trying to say that like this kind of, yeah, almost like the sexualization of the workplace. It's like no longer do you need to look good and, and perform for your boyfriend or potential husband. You know, it's like you 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 now, now it's everywhere, like you said. It's like you're you do it for your employer, you know. And like at at this time, I was working a lot of um, these kind of agency jobs.
0: Oh, yeah. Where,
1: you know, as I was a master's part-time master's student and I I was working in the Midlands and I was just doing these jobs where you basically work somewhere for a week or two weeks and Mm. and you have to kind of, you know, part of the whole thing is like being like – superficially or performatively like friendly to everybody but no <laughs> one was remembering your name because you'll be yeah. gone soon and so you kind of don't really count as an employee you know yeah and it yeah. It, was, it was really horrible like <laughs> a set of experiences that like every lot of people had right and I was very like resentful of this work and I was like oh, I must try and understand what's going on here um but I do yeah the, I think the generalization of this thing about being well you said like existentially On in a particular way, like the 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 feminine, and you know, and we could say, well, symptomatically, then it's not surprising that a lot of young women in particular don't want to play that role, or they or they preemptively try to escape, and and sadly not through tomboyism, which was the great escape that was very fun, and like I talk about in the beginning of the man book, in the 90s, you know, you had this idea of the ladette.
0: Yes. And, yes. Yes.
1: And it was, of course, it was like hedonistic and like bad in some ways. Like you know, lots of people, it was like men and women together, like being friends, and everyone was being quite quite laddie and drinking too much. And it was like the era of rave and before the internet really got going, yeah. so there wasn't this kind of surveillance thing and whatnot. And there was a kind of equality in that, like it was the equality of the debauched or something. I describe it.
0: Oh but yes, it, yes, yes.
1: But it did. <laughs> but it did permit mm-hmm. like a range of behaviors um, for like men and women. And it didn't involve depression and surgery and, you know, identity, right? Yeah. It was just like, we're all here together. We're all gonna have fun. It's like a nice time, you know? And it, that's one way of dealing with the increasing proximity of men and women is to like, well, let's have a party. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it seems um, like in, in this era, there there was like, um in youth culture that crossed over into the art world like with punk riot girl grunge grunge was a big one because now men yeah. and women like physically look the same
1: yeah i was really very into grunge i wore like yeah. check shirt and like whatever like moleskin trousers and dot martins and everybody wore the same thing
0: who who is was your favorite oh i'm not gonna it's your favorite band pearl jam right <laughs> of course it
1: was. How, how could you possibly guess <laughs> Scroll <laughs> jam
0: was for the girls allison chains was for the men
1: <laughs> i used, I really liked allison chains too but I liked the instru- like the instrument like the heavy instrumental ones like the Jarrah flies
0: yeah Jar of flies like, and sap and
1: <laughs> exactly I like those ones but yeah my brother is very into like machine head and and allison chains and- yeah
0: I was a new metal kid back in <laughs> yeah. still am no,
1: but I, did, I did like pole jam I'm sorry it's true they were like <laughs>
0: <laughs> i knew it I knew it oh boy I've retained then- my sexism anyways Oh, <laughs> <laughs>